So, great big good morning to everyone. Great to have you joining me today. I'm Senior Pastor Chuck Blair here at New Church Live. And whether you're joining us online in archive service or here in our live studio audience, it's great to have you here today. And today is a, is a, is a fun service to look at. It's looking at some of the harder parts of the Easter story. And there's so much light in all of this, so much light in it, so much that it can teach us and help us to see and, and insights it can give. And, and I was thinking yesterday, very fortunate to have done a, a beautiful baptism yesterday. And, and we do, because we have so many online viewers, we do travel for baptisms. So I, I did a little traveling, went to a baptism, had a wonderful time with, with this family. And you know, part of it is, is I think, you know, with, with baptisms and, and these special moments, you know, you kind of want to lean in and tell the little ones a story. You want to tell them a story. And you want to try to give them a sense of, of in the family around what life will be. And, and yesterday was a funny one. You saw that beautiful flower uh, background, right, that we did the baptism in front of. Well, about 10 minutes before that picture was taken, a big wind comes through and knocks the whole thing over. Now, the beautiful part, is that life? Is that life? Absolutely, that's life. That's part of life. Set it back up, everybody's smiling and laughing. I'm thinking, yeah, that's the way, that's the story we want to tell. We want to lean in and tell each other this Christian story that we all can be part of, and it can give us a context to our lives, it can give us edges to our lives, it can give us a sense of meaning, a sense of connection, a deep sense of community, a deep sense of, of tools to navigate by, much more a compass than a roadmap. It gives us a sense of a true north. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Again, some of, some of these, these stories and what they really have to do with our lives, both in terms of this is one way to hold it, and then there's other areas where we need to be careful not to hold it in certain ways as we hold this story. So with that, folks, I want to talk about this, this idea, right, of, of uncertainty. And this is a great quote from Anne Lamott. I have a lot of faith, but I'm also afraid of lot and have no real certainty about anything. I remember something Father Tom had told me, that the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. Many of you have heard that quote. Certainty is missing the point entirely. Faith includes noting the mess the emptiness and discomfort, and letting it be there until some light returns. And it's interesting, that phrase, certainty. I know for me in, in my life, when people come and they, they chat, and they're really certain, I mean really certain, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, nothing's going to grow here. Concrete is very certain. <laughs> Tilled soil, not as much. And that idea of trying to tell this story and let it be a story that moves us beyond easy certainties. Easy certainties that can make us feel right, maybe make us feel powerful, maybe even make us feel safe, but don't necessarily lead to growth. And again, that's Jesus' whole message, right? It's, it's, it's this message towards growth. Yesterday, Again, beautiful day. We have three weekends in a row where we have a baptism and then a wedding. And, and during the wedding, it's, it's wonderful to talk to couples about, look, we all want you to have a good marriage. Can you make it a great marriage? Can you make it a marriage that thinks about how you're going to serve out there into the world? What are you going to do? Those are the questions, folks, that start to pull us forward. Beyond just, you know, just a few sort of sort of cherish certainties in, in, the, in the real growth. And that, of course, doesn't mean that there aren't things that we can, we can bank on, so to speak. There really are. And we have to always keep the edges soft around our life of faith. A quote here from Kate Baller as the musicians come out. Whenever religion has embarked on a quest for certainty, for purity, a crusade for certainty, striving only for survival, it has done so at great cost. I want to read that again. Whenever religion has embarked on a quest for purity, a crusade for certainty, striving only for survival, it has done so at great cost. We're going to see that in today's service. You know, sort of the people who were most pushing to end Jesus' life were actually the religious authorities. And why is that? Why can our life of faith sometimes turn that way? 
And it's important to look at that, and it's also important to look at where God is always asking us to turn our life of faith to. What's he's asking us to envision? How is he asking us to move forward? Which is what we're going to talk about when we come back. Misinterpreted words are only human, I'm human. Murder is crow, hey, what you know? What you're raving about, what you hold in your toes. Is that a twig or you a dove a piece? Black dove undercover with another puzzle piece. Are you a riddle to solve all along? Or am I overthinking thoughts of human? After all, only human. Made of flesh, made of sand, made of human Planets talking about a revolution Natural laws ain't got no constitution They've got a right to live their own life But we keep paving over paradise Cause we're only human Oh yes we are Only human If it's our only excuse How do we think we'll keep on being Yes, we are only human. So far, so far. Up in the major's tree, the one he planted back when he was just a boy, back in 1923. 30 meters and a foot, take a look, take a climb. What you'll find is the product of a seed. The seed is sown all alone. It grows above with a heart of love, sharp and shelter of animals and cold weather. They breathe in, we're all breathing. Planets talking about a revolution. Natural laws ain't got no constitution. They've got a right to live their own life. We keep paving over paradise. Yes, we are only human. If it's our only excuse, how do we think we'll keep on being only human? Oh, yes, we are only human. So far, so far, and this place, it'll outlive me. Before I get to heaven, I'll climb that tree. And I will have to give my thanks for giving me the branch to swing on. If I ever fall in love, I'll have to give myself a babe. I will let my children have their way. Cause we're only human. Oh yes, we are. Only human. What a great song, you know, and, and, and that idea, right, that, that we're only human, and so much of, of the experience of humanity deals with uncertainty of things, and how do we hold, how do we move forward, how do, how do we sort of find certainties that work as well as push aside certainties that don't. So whether you're joining us today, I already got a text from somebody from Massachusetts and California and some other places as well, wherever you're joining us from the far east coast to the far left, left coast, west coast. 
Great to have you joining us today. And what I want to talk about today, folks, is this, is this beautiful concept, beautiful concept, around what it looks like to really understand what God is trying to teach us about how to deal with challenges in life. How does that all work? It's interesting, Jesus' trial, which we're going to talk about here today. And with, with Jesus' trial, for if you're not familiar with it, what happens is as we enter in, as we enter in to, the, to the, this Easter season, Jesus gets put on trial. And he gets put on trial by religious authorities who are sure that he has done many of these things wrong, that he has, he has created all these challenges, that he is somehow challenging their power. And that's where he's put on trial. And this is the way the trial looks. It's a beautiful painting of it. And it comes down to this, folks. And this is, this is so important. It ends up being this trial of this book, this legalistic book versus the person. The book versus the person. And any time we start judging people based on a book versus the person, we're going to get into a little bit of trouble. Now, that's not to say, of course, that there aren't judgments in life, and obviously there are. But we're going to look today at where that can sort of fall short. It's interesting the way this starts out in this particular, in this particular part of the gospel that talks about it. The chief priests, this is the way the passage reads, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. They were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. That phrase is really interesting to me. Like they were looking for the false evidence. They were searching for it. They were searching for the negative. They were searching for what was not true. And again, so easy again to, to push that out and to think, oh, other people are doing that. Other people do that. But the reality is, no, we all can do that. We all can search for false evidence as we're looking at other people, as we're looking at our communities, as we're looking at our world. And we're asked to see something different from that. We're asked to actually have a different approach. And how did that search look for them? Well, this is, goes on to say, the Sanhedrin is saying, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You've said so, Jesus replied, but I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Humanity sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. And it's, it's just an interesting passage to me. And sad in a lot of ways. Because they were searching for false evidence, they accused him of saying that he's the son of God. He goes, well, that's what you're saying. I'm the son of humanity. Jesus is constantly trying to pull, you know, this idea that his divinity and humanity rests here, rests with us. And of course, that connection with God the Father, and, and yet it rests here with us. That, that very containment and base being so incredibly important. And yet... That couldn't even be heard. Because you notice, it, it's not even an argument here. It's just this instantaneous statement like, well, he's spoken blasphemy. Mm. These folks were coming from this sense of certainty. It was detrimental. They saw the book they saw the book as certainty. And as they're looking through the book from a legalistic framework, Jesus wasn't coming out so well. That kind of certainty never serves religion well. Because we're called to something bigger than that. And it's not that just in this time, per se, that that was the only challenge going on. There were other challenges taking place as well. It's interesting, you know, reading through the Easter story, so much of it as a pastor is you kind of, you know, you read this little section, you read this little section, you read this little section, you read these little sections. And, and it's easy to forget that there's a theme that runs through it, that these stories are supposed to run together. And one of the ones that runs together here 
is this basic, beautiful theme of, of Jesus constantly taking the higher road in the midst of all these challenges. And the second challenge that goes on is this. You have this trial, and at the same time outside, you have denial, which is the title for today's service. So we have to sort of picture those two together, folks. We have to see, right, this trial, Jesus before this trial, like that painting we saw, and then, and then just outside, some of Jesus' disciples have followed him, some of his followers, there's a lot of people around, and we see a famous, a famous story here about Peter, one of his cherished disciples, hanging out outside. Now what happens is what's happening in this picture is, is Peter has been told by Jesus, he's been told, look, by the time that the cock crows three times, you will have denied me three times. That was at night. And of course, Peter and, and all his, his, his Peterness was like, no, I will never do that, Lord. I will never desert you no matter what. And yet, he does just that. Three times, he's confronted. Three times, he denies Jesus. He denies knowing him. So folks, we have one group, the religious group, that's coming from a perspective of power. They see their power challenged. So they can't accept Jesus. And then we see this you know, in some ways, very human figure, Peter. And we see his comfort and safety challenged. And we see in that, him going like, nope, backing away. Those parts, folks, are part of us. They can be part of religious institutions. And they also speak to, as well, areas where we need to let, somehow, to let ourselves be confronted to let ourselves be challenged, challenged to move, challenged to do things differently. One of the lines as I was getting ready for today that really was a little bit chilling to me, a little bit like, oh, that's a little bit of a challenge, was so Peter denies Jesus three times and then as part of this interplay between the trial on the, on the inside and the, the grouping on the outside, was Peter and Jesus make eye contact. And this is the line, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter, then Peter remembered. And I think about that, and I think, wow, what would, what would, what would that look have been? What would that view have been? How would Jesus have looked at Peter in that moment? It's something to think about. And, and I, I kind of picture it this way. I think Jesus is always looking from the eye of love and compassion. And I think probably a mixture of sadness in there as well. And it comes back to that first song of only human. Knowing that that's what we are and we make mistakes, but I think that would have been the luck. And I think too, what would... What would Jesus have wanted Peter to remember at that moment? And maybe this takes a lifetime to know. But maybe he would have wanted him to just remember just again and again, like, God is with you. You know, I'm here. Mistakes get made. Yes, sadness and disappointment. But just as well, and in addition to, and maybe more important than it all, this, this steadfast love that just remains. The steadfast love that's just incredibly important to all of us. Both groups, folks, I think with this story, had missed the point. One group, coming clearly from a, from a sense of power and righteousness, had totally missed the point. Peter, coming from this idea for comfort and safety, totally missed the point. And that's part of the tragedy of the Easter story, and I think that's part of our call here today, is to maybe think, how do we think through this a little differently? How do we see it in a very different way? 
And I want to talk about this. And, and this, this next thing I want to talk about, really, it's, it's critically important. And it's, it's so important, I, I don't even know whether I can quite get the right language around it. So my apologies. As many of you know, I've been a little bit out with the flu this week. So I'm not thinking terribly clearly. So hopefully it comes out well, because I think it's that important. I want to move over here to talk about this. And it's, it's talking about truth. I think, I think in one way, we can come to truth and we can kind of sit in the truth. And that's where I think much of life starts. Again, we, we get given a map, we get given a sense of direction. You know, that, that truth is, is really significant to sit in. And if we just sit there forever, if we just get really clear that this is the only place where there is truth. We're going to miss out on a great deal of what life has to show us and tell us. Even when, just like Jesus being in front of the Sanhedrin, even when it is right there in front of us, we may well miss it because our commitment is just to sitting in our truth, our privatized truth which we believe must be true for all people. And when we add a religious patina on that, when we take the book and we use that to judge the person, we'll mess. We'll mess. I think so much of what Jesus is asking here and what his whole ministry pulls us to, he says, look, of course you're going to sit in the truth, but then he also invites us to move to the truth. Now, it's interesting, this Easter week, you know, as we look at communion, we look at Holy Supper, we look at the Last Supper, whatever your tradition calls it, which we'll be celebrating at New Church Live online Friday at 7.30 p.m., just saying. It's interesting that this is what he chooses. This is what he chooses. I've thought about that, right? Remember a few years ago, there was this famous book called The Last Lecture. Uh, Randy, and I'm forgetting his last name, he was a professor at Carnegie Mellon University who had cancer, and he, he wanted to give a last lecture. And, and I've thought, for me personally, like if I knew that time in, in this life was limited, I'd want to give a last sermon. <laughs> I'd want to preach one last time. That's not what Jesus chose to do. Think about that. He didn't choose to say, I'm going to stand up and broadcast the truth. I'm going to tell you one last time. What he chose was he chose a last supper, a Passover meal, with bread and wine, with friends with bread and wine, with friends. It wasn't about this broadcast of truth. He was saying, we come together in community. We come together in community. We come together in a circle. And that's how we somehow figure it out. It's not about left and right and this and that or, or, or extremes. It's none of that. It's about understanding truth in the round. It's about knowing that we are beyond polarities, that what we share is so much greater, that, that ethos of resonance, that community that we're to join in, that welcoming of all perspectives. And it doesn't set a high bar. I say this over and over and over again because I think it's so critically important. For those of you who are aware of the Bible, not everyone is, but at that table, and I say this all the time, Thomas the doubter, Peter the denier, Judas the betrayer, at that table, Jesus has dear friends there to eat with him. The bar is really low. <laughs> Just be clear. The bar is really low. All of you are more than qualified. Folks, let this sink in. It's not sitting in the truth. It's moving to a greater truth. 
It's not sitting in the truth. It's moving to a greater truth where there has to be space for everyone. Where there has to be space for everyone. And if right now in your mind there's something going off saying, yeah, space for everyone, but from the, from the word but over, that's your spiritual work. <laughs> that's where we can talk about repentance. That's where we can talk about sin. It's interesting, folks, when we think about this, and I was thinking about this a lot, I think what Jesus is saying here, and this is very much a Christian new church perspective, when we search for what is good, we will arrive at what is true. When we search for what is good, we will arrive at what is true. When we truly search for what is good in other people, in other perspectives, when we truly search for that, we're going to arrive at the truth. I mean, folks, just, just think about that. Like, if, if you're with someone and they're really searching for what's good in you, and all of you have it, aren't you going to feel home? Aren't you going to feel like you actually want to share a meal together? Aren't you going to actually feel loved? And in turn, doesn't that make it so much easier to turn it around and be loving and to discover that truth in them? One of the fascinating parts reading up and studying for this, this particular sermon was this idea from Emanuel Swedenborg that at a certain time, a certain point in our life, as we shift from this to this, that goodwill becomes the generator of truth. Think about that. Goodwill becomes the generator of truth. When I approach people with goodwill, all people with goodwill, that will help me to see the truth about life and the truth about them and celebrate that. Because it's, it, it pulls me into a very different place, folks. It's why angels judge no one. Because they can't. Because <laughs> they're coming from goodwill. And judgments have to come down to the judgments we make about ourselves that, that we know, judgments that we have to make in order to help us sit at this table in a more healthy way. So let's hold that again. Just think about what it means to understand that we arrive at truth. I don't think the Sanhedrin, and I don't think Peter, I, think, I don't think they were in that journey. I would think they were in very understandable journeys. One journey concerned all about power and control. Another journey very worried all about comfort and safety. I think those are very understandable, very understandable journeys. And Jesus, throughout this story, doesn't punish those folks. What he does is he keeps pointing to greater truth. And he keeps saying, move. And he keeps saying, join me here. Pull up a chair. And join me here. That's a very different kind of clarity. That's the world we want to live in. As we think about that, I think again, we really need to let that in in a very deep way and try to think, again, what does that look like 
in our lives. Here's Sam Wells. Love the way he puts this. Maybe there is another kind of authority that goes beyond the antagonism of naked power and the desire for perfectible safety. Maybe there's an authority that sometimes appears weak and even unpopular, but will abide whether people follow it or not. An authority that has no need of manipulation because it has no need in deceiving people. An authority that doesn't have to be articulate and stylish because it is just as well represented by the clumsy and the stumbling. An authority whose simplicity is transparency, whose identity is generosity, whose witness is its beauty. Maybe there's a kind of authority called the authority of truth, and it's a very different kind of truth he's talking about. Jesus says, believe in me not because you have to, not because it, excuse me, be, but because it works, but because in me you've come face to face with the truth. And that's again that place where we arrive at the truth, and it's a place where we can answer this question, what does it look like to come face to face with this truth? a truth beyond power, effectiveness, or safety? What does it look like to live there? And here's a beautiful line, friends, again from Sam Wells, talking about what it's like when we live there, when we, when we exist there, when we're doing our best to be there. The people I look up to mirror this authority of truth. I think of a friend who never shouts, never exaggerates, never ingratiates, but simply lets her quiet yes be yes and her quiet no be no. I think of a teacher who kept going in a failing school because he believed whatever it was these children needed, education had to be a key part of it. These are the people I look up to. They have no handle on coercion, nor would they pass any conventional test of effectiveness, but they have something more precious. They have the authority of truth. These people are Jesus to me. Boy, I love that line. It's not this effectiveness thing. It's, it's, it's not about power or safety or efficiency or comfort or safety. It's about this community, about how we welcome other people in, about a different kind of truth. It's, it's a truth that has moved. And it's a truth that has moved to a very different kind of certainty. It's a truth, friends, where I feel like we get to sense what growth really is. And what I'd ask you to do now, folks, is as we get ready for our, our second song here, is just text me in an answer if something comes up for you. What people are Jesus to you in that regard? Like who... Who models that for you in that regard? Somebody feel like, yeah, that's, that's the kind of the truth they've been to me. You can text that in, 215-740-3662. That's 
What a beautiful song, and, and I, I feel like, just full disclosure, I, I feel like I should apologize in so many ways. I feel like I tripped over myself many times today, uh, just sort of feeling out of the loop after, after feeling a little under the weather. So my apologies for that. And, and hopefully something got conveyed that, that gets to the point about arriving at the truth and seeing how these people can be in our lives and, and the model, right? Like, like, you think about this model. It's, it's a beautiful model, and it, it's something that can help us in so many ways, and, and just, hearing, just hearing people talk, and, and let's take a look at some of these answers, and these come from, again, I, I just love that, uh, they, just, they come from all over the United States, and it's, it's super sun, super fun to, there I go, slipping again. Uh, from all over the country. One person writes, my mom is like Jesus to me. She takes what she knows to be true and lives it into existence in this world by loving with steadfast exuberance. She is present with everyone she encounters, meeting them where they are with genuine curiosity, explores what's true for them. She is my role model for love. That's oh, beautiful. I was fortunate to have a few excellent role models to demonstrate this, me, this to me, especially my grandchildren. Isn't that interesting, right? Like, like, we, we learn from our, our, those who've gone before us, and then we learn who, for those who are coming after us. Uh, but I guess the close, closest person is myself. This is beautiful. And when I go within and look at my true self, and that's really important, and they, and they emphasize it there, I see the truth, and that is where I can find love. That's beautiful. Uh, let, let me see. Here's... here's uh, Here's one from out on, the, out, on, out on the California coast. All those who love from judgment to compassionate mercy, acceptance and, and encouragement. That's beautiful. Somebody from Michigan writes, I think of my daughter always finding ways for her people to enjoy life together. That's great. It's another person from the Midwest. Uh, what is our conscience? It seems to speak to us with a gentle truth born of love. That's so good. That's so good. That's so good. Thank you for sending that in, Matt. Allie writes, people exhibit kindness in the face of cruelty. Their breath is in the trust of God, not in the falsity in front of them. Beautiful stuff. 
Another person writes, my grandfather, unconditional love with no expectations of me, a friend to everyone, an ear to everyone, a problem solver, no judgment, kind, selfless, my hero. My friend Kay is Jesus to me, always kind, always aiming for the good. Sister Leslie at St. Francis Inn, that is well said. Sister Leslie is a saint unless you mess up, just so you know. Uh, down from Key West, you probably would have guessed this, Chuck, but my wife. And there's other ones there too, folks. So, so I, I think we can get a sense of, of how that maybe works, right? What is, what's the certainty that Jesus is actually calling us to? I think it's really significant. A last word about this way of, how, of holding truth, how we may want to hold it, the ways we really might want to leaven it. And it's this idea between a test and a challenge. I think a lot of time when we sit in this chair, just sitting with our own truth period, not open to anything else, it's a great chair to test other people from. And testing is always ego-driven. Testing is always hierarchical. Boy, I can't believe I could say that word. You know, it's always a hierarchy, and it's always, I'm in charge, I get it, you don't, here's the test, let me see if you pass, which means, folks, and this is the tragic part, which means at the end when we sit in this chair, we're trying to determine whether somebody is worthy. We're trying to determine if somebody's worthy. Could I go off for a second? You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. Worthiness, our worthiness, whoever they are, they were never up for question. Because they're gods. They're God's son and daughters. We're not here to do worthiness tests. I was talking to my friend, he's a great math teacher, one of the best teachers I've ever known, and he said, no student ever writes at the end of the year, you know what, my favorite teacher were the ones who gave the, the best, hardest test. <laughs> no. Who are the best? The best are where we can sit here, and yet it's not a test. It's about these challenges. Tests? are about worthiness. Challenges are about growth. World of difference there. Tests about worthiness. Challenges about growth. I think there's no doubt in my mind that's why Peter, Peter, uh, Thomas, and Judas were at the table. Jesus wanted all of them to remember that. That those three were at the table too. When they celebrated Passover year after year after year. See folks, that challenge that leads to growth, that's far more of an us. That's far more of we're joining in that together. That there are these challenges in life, and how are we going to find the answers? We're going to find them at the table. We're going to find them over bread and wine. This puts Jesus on the cross. This welcomes everyone. At times... I think it's really significant we go back to the story, and, and I know it sounds a little strident, my apologies for that. And I think we just need to remember, you know, that we don't want to go to the pearly gates and have Peter there with the book said, yes, but you were the defender of the wrong faith. I don't think we want that. I think we want to be the defender of the right faith. And it's a faith that's this, brothers and sisters. My last words. It's faith as we define it here in the new church. Faith is the eye of love.
Amen. What we're going to do now, folks, is we're going to do a little prayer. Then we're going to do the Our Father prayer. Then we're going to do a little blessing. So please join me in a prayer. Lord, thank you for your presence here today. And Lord, help us to move to a place where we're not just are sitting in truth, but we've moved towards greater truths. We've moved towards greater truths that acknowledge the worthiness of everyone. That have learned to welcome everyone at the table. That have learned to do as well, like Lord, yes, the work we need to do. To work hard at it. To figure out those places where yes, we need to repent. Where we need to look squarely where we are falling short and do the best we can to address that very directly, very clearly, and with courage. And in that whole journey, Lord, don't let us forget, please don't let us forget the biggest of pictures. That we're all in this together. That all of us have a place at this table, your table. Allow that story of Easter to live into our lives in new ways. And Lord, as always, we close with this. Simple gratitude. Gratitude that we get to join together. Voices from across the United States gathered together to try to humbly find our way home. Our prayer. Our Father, who art in the heavens, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. As in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, bring you peace, and bring you home. Amen.
Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week.